Bom dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another episode of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Episode 199. A year ago at this time, as we begin the beginning of December, Portugal was at the World Cup. We were getting ready to play South Korea. This is where we were a year ago today. Unfortunately, we lost to South Korea 2-1, to one, but we did qualify. We did advance to the knockout round. We beat Switzerland 6-1, to one, big night for Gonzalo Ramos. And, of course, if you remember, Cristiano Ronaldo was on the bench. And that what was going on a year ago at this time, at the beginning of December. And as we begin this year's beginning of December... A lot to talk about, uh, kind of, I guess, uh, review what happened last week in the European action with our clubs. Not a very good week. Uh, talk a little bit about the Euro draw for the uh, tournament coming up this summer in Germany. That takes place, the draw, the group draws take place this Saturday. Liga. The Liga returns after being off for two weeks for the international break and the Portuguese Cup, the Taça do Portugal. Liga is back this weekend, and we got three very good matches. I will preview that for you. Uh, we got the Island Derby in the second division between Santa Clara and Maritimo, and we got a little bit of controversy too, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, we have FIFA rankings came out. How does Portugal, who went undefeated in all their matches, drop a spot in FIFA? I don't know, but a lot of you had comments about that, and I'll read that. And then, of course, we'll also do a Big Four report, reports uh, throughout the Liga Portugal, and also a report on women's uh, football. So welcome, everybody, to episode 199 as we begin the month of December. Let me start off first with uh, the European review from this past week. We saw uh, one loss and three draws this past week. Uh, Portugal continues to sit seventh in the rankings. We're not threatened by seventh place, but if it continues this way, uh, we could be in trouble um, in terms of, uh, well, we lost, I remember when we were battling for fifth, we lost that to France. I remember when we were battling for sixth, we lost that to the Netherlands, and now we are in seventh place, uh, which has been disappointing. And part of it is because we just haven't had great results in Europe. Obviously, the big story this week, we'll start off what happened this past Tuesday. Uh, Porto going to Barcelona, they scored first through Pepe. But then the two Portuguese players on Barcelona, João Felix and João Cancelo, uh, rallied Barcelona for the win. Uh, hey, they're Portuguese, yes, but they make a living, uh, they're living playing club football in Spain, specifically for Barcelona. And they, of course, came up big, and they were, of course, both very happy as former Benfica players to take out a uh, Portuguese club, especially Porto. Uh, but that was a bit of a disappointment. But then we saw... Benfica, we thought Benfica were going to get their first win and catapult themselves into the battle for third place in the group. Go up three goals on a hat-trick by João Mario, the first time ever that a Benfica player scored a hat-trick in the Champions League. And what happens? Um, you know, and I remember when I put that out there, people were like, eh, it's the C team of Inter, who cares? Well, whoever that was at Inter, they came back to level it, believe it or not. And as a result, Benfica only walked away with their first point, but they unfortunately wound up losing two points by suffering of the draw. Uh, uh, Benfica, just like Braga, going into their final match days in two weeks, they need to win their final matches. Not only win, but they need to win by at least two goals. And if Benfica does that, they will finish in third, and they will go to the playoff in February to play a second-place team out of a Europa group. Uh, Braga... 
Uh, went down a man early, fought bravely to come back and get a goal to who seems to be scoring almost every week, Alvaro Dijolo. And they managed to salvage a point, although they really needed a point at home. Because had they won and Napoli did lose to Real Madrid, it would have meant they would have been one point behind. But either way, they would have had to go to Italy, to Napoli, for the win in this final match day. The difference, though, with the draw is that now they've got to try to win by at least two goals. So just like Benfica, it's a very tough hill to climb. Um, again, we'll be supporting them, rooting for them. I know a lot of Portuguese people only care about their clubs and not necessarily how well the Portuguese clubs do. But if there's ever a time that maybe some of your good karma or anybody's good karma can help these clubs, we're going to really need it in that final match day. Porto is in very good position to qualify the second-place team. They only need a draw at home against Shakhtar. And if they do, they would advance uh, finishing in the top two, which means they don't have to play the playoff in February. And that is so, so important because obviously January, February, March are very busy months in the schedule. And if you have to play two less matches, that is a very, very good thing. So that's what Porto is going to be shooting for. Now, sporting, we know in the Europa, they finished second in their group. They went to Italy and they drew 1-1 Marcus Edwards uh, with the goal. Uh, but obviously it would have been better to go there for the win. I mean, they wanted to finish first because now they do have to play this playoff against a third-place team from the Champions League in uh, February. And as a result, uh, their schedule will get bigger uh, and busier as well in 2024. But they did get a point in against a Serie A club in Italy. And I think what's important is that they finished in second place. There's no way that Sturmgrass could catch them. They only have four points. So, at, hey, congratulations to Sporting, uh, to advancing, and uh, but they still have to go through the playoff. But, uh, look, not a great week overall. W one loss, three draws. We didn't even win. Uh, three Portuguese teams are still in the hunt to qualify, and obviously if, if we can get all of our clubs to move on, that would be fantastic if we could all qualify for the next round. Um, Portugal continues to sit in seventh place, but... We continue to put together these results. We're going to be in trouble. I mean, I remember when we were battling France for fifth place. We lost that. I remember when we were battling the Netherlands. And it didn't even last very long because the Netherlands quickly came to sixth place. And now we sit in seventh place. And again, when you think about our league and our history and all the players that we've produced, uh, we're a lot better than, I think, seventh place. But that's the way we are right now. So that's just the way it goes. Um, so this weekend, we're going to have... The Euro draw on Saturday, that's 1,700 hours in Portugal, 12 o'clock in the eastern coast of the United States and Canada for all the uh, big cities there. Portugal is in pot one. This is, of course, a draw. It is a lottery. It is very, very hard to say um, or predict right now or even try to have a conversation on who we think they're going to get. Obviously, the toughest thing would be is if they wound up getting Denmark out of pot two and then if they wound up getting, let's say, Croatia or a uh, Netherlands out of pot three and then let's say they get an Italy, Italy or maybe even a Serbia out of pot four, that would be the worst case scenario for Portugal. Best case scenario, Albania out of pot two. I would say probably, with all due respect to my Scottish followers, Scotland out of pot three, or maybe uh, the Czech Republic, since we've done very well with them. And then maybe uh, one of the teams out of pot four that come out of the uh, playoff. We shall see. I'm going to have a little bit of fun here, and I will do a prediction, although I don't... If, look, if one of the... You know, we obviously know Portugal is going to be in a group. If I get one of the other three right, I would be very happy. But here's my prediction. Um, I am going to predict... Romania 
coming out of uh, part two. I am going to predict the Netherlands coming out of part three. And then I'm going to predict because it seems like they're either in our group or they're in our path for the playoffs. Somehow I think we're going to get Switzerland again this weekend. We shall see. But that's my prediction for this weekend. And again, that will be taking place on Saturday afternoon, the draw for next summer Euro taking place in Germany. It doesn't seem like that long ago we had the Euro. Of course, it was pushed a year because of COVID. But uh, right away we go back and uh, Portugal will be getting ready to play in uh, Germany. And speaking of Portugal, they have uh, set up a match, the Federation, on March the 21st. They will be playing Sweden in Guimarães, a, a terrific game. Guimarães, of course, is a hotbed uh, Vitoria, of course, the fourth biggest club in Portugal based on size, and they have been rewarded getting a Portugal-Sweden. Uh, uh, I call it warm-up because this is now the beginning of preparation for the Euro. Um, it's basically a, t a match where he may call up some players that he wants to test. Uh, as we've said before, he's kind of kept only 28 or 29 players. He kind of has everything set up. But look, when you're playing for a Euro and you have a manager and you're going to be playing, I, I think Sweden's a little bit tougher than what we have played um, in the group. Um, and obviously, I think the, uh, they're going to be playing in, this, in that March international break another club, another national team, which at this point in time that I'm recording this, we don't know who that is yet. They haven't announced it, but chances are they're waiting for the draw to come out this weekend. And then from that, they will look to play somebody, uh, obviously not in their group at the Euro, but somebody that's similar to the style of play of one of their teams in their group. And I know a lot of people are eager to see Portugal play against one of the big countries. So we shall see. But a Euro warm-up is coming to Guimarães. And I know a lot of people are very, very excited about that. So that should be a, a very, very uh, good thing. Uh, Taça de Portugal also took place uh, this week, uh, the uh, draw. Um, well, actually, before I say that, let me just stick to the national team. So the FIFA World Rankings uh, basically came out um, on Thursday, and Portugal won all 10 of their matches in the group. Um, of course, we shouldn't say it that way because there has been probably three or four FIFA rankings during those 10 matches, but... They did finish group play undefeated, 10 for 10 in wins, 36 goals scored, only two conceded, and that was all in one match in the Dragon against um, Slovakia. But somehow Portugal, who was in sixth, dropped to seventh place. And there was a lot of people that were not very happy about this. Um, and let me read to you, I, I know I usually say this for the end, but I, I will have some comments at the end. But let me just read some of the comments that a lot of people had about this. Um, this one was on Twitter, FDX. Not going to go through the trouble of doing the math, but I'm assuming the Dutch leaped over us because they beat stronger opponents. Although I would think FIFA should implement some sort of bonus for being perfect in qualifying. Uh, I agree with you, um, but at the end of the day... Um, you know, I, the only thing I could think of is the fact that we, you know, a lot of the teams in our group, uh, Slovakia, I think, has a decent ranking, but really not everybody else. And I think when you come down to the math and the teams you played, this is what kind of hurt us. Now, uh, as I continue to read other remarks here, laughing, my uh, laughing, uh, how did we go down a ranking after winning all of our games since the World Cup? Yet Netherlands lost four of their last ten. Make that make sense? I don't know if FIFA can. 
how does Portugal drop a point? Uh, by the way, that first one was from a Mike Deixeira. Uh, the next one here is uh, Rui Rooster Brandon. How does Portugal drop a point in the rankings if they haven't even lost the game? This is total nonsense. Um, this is from Ancho Ocho7 on Instagram. I've realized ever since seeing Belgium at number one for so many years that I clearly don't fully understand how the rankings work. But how can Portugal drop in rankings when they have been literally been perfect? 10 for 10 wins in qualifying. I know for a fact the Netherlands did not do better than that. So what actually made Portugal drop? Well, like I said, the FIFA rankings are all based on the math. It's all based on a formula. And I think what happened is, is you know, you beat Liechtenstein. Um, and by the way, you only beat them 2-0. Um, and then you beat Iceland. And this is not the Iceland from 2016. And the truth of the matter is, is that's exactly what happens. And uh, look, a lot of people don't like the FIFA rankings. Uh, people complain about it, and they complain about it, and they complain about it. The best thing for people to do is just to ignore it. But it's hard to ignore when this is also used in seeding purposes for the FIFA draw. So um, I don't get it either. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I feel like for me, Portugal is, in my opinion, certainly better then I think they should be, you know, I mean, Brazil, uh, well, Brazil is Brazil. They're number five, but they've had a pretty bad stretch of it as well. But I think Portugal right now is probably good for number six. And quite frankly, I think some people feel that we're probably better than Belgium as well. And by the way, wouldn't that be great to see a uh, Portugal-Belgium uh, match with Roberto Martinez? That would be very, very interesting. I can't argue with the other teams at the top, Argentina, France, or England, in my opinion. But uh, I don't know. It is what it is. It's a big disappointment. And again, I think I don't want to spend too much time on it because uh, it doesn't make sense. So we're just going to uh, really, uh, really move on. But uh, this weekend, of course, um, we have, uh, well, actually, let me do this again. I'm kind of going out of my order. Let's first off start off with the Taça, the Portugal, the Portuguese Cup. Round of 16 draw uh, took place. And this, these matches, by the way, will be taking place in the second week of January. They'll be taking place in the middle of the week, so we will have mid midweek football that that time. The best match, obviously, in the Taça de Portugal, no doubt about it, Benfica at home to Braga. That is currently scheduled, but I wonder if that will change for January the 10th. Uh, I'm looking at it. It looks like RTP1 might be broadcasting that, but... I've done that in the past where I've talked about a match three or four weeks out and then there tends to be changes. But for now, that's what I'm seeing here. But uh, we have some pretty interesting matches. First off, we have a Santa Clara Nacional. So we have an Azores team taking on a team from Madeira. We got Maritimo at home to Leiria, two very strong clubs uh, doing well in the second division. Gil Vicente, they get a local team, Amarant. I believe they're up there in uh, Minho. Uh, that's a good uh, draw for Gil Vicente. Guimarães will be hosting a team not too far away, Panafial in the Porto region. Vizela, it, um, they will be playing Aroca. So Vizela versus Aroca. And then, of course, as I said, we got Benfica and Braga, and we got Sporting and Tundela. And again, these matches will be played the second week of January, uh, middle of the week. And I guess, again, Benfica-Braga is without a doubt the best match. And by the way, I almost forgot here, Estoril Praia will be playing Porto. That's actually, by the way, a very interesting match because obviously Estoril just went to Porto a few weeks ago and uh, beat Porto in the Dragong. And Estoril has, uh, hasn't lost since that match. So that could be a very interesting match. Uh, last year, Porto won in Estoril in the Liga, and that catapulted them, uh, or was it two years ago when uh, Shiku scored that uh, big goal? That catapulted them, I believe it was to the championship that season. 
So Porto's always had some good luck in Estoril, but now they got to go play the same team that already beat them in the Dragon. So that will be a very interesting to see. And by the way, sticking to the upcoming schedule, next week, um, one, two, three, four, next Wednesday, uh, we will have midweek football. Uh, and believe it or not, it's Estoril versus Porto in the League Cup. Uh, Porto has yet to play any of the League Cup matches. Of course, you only play two. Estoril already beat Les Choenges. Okay, Estoril already beat Les Choenges, so they're in first with three points. So Porto has to win to basically go level with Estoril, and then they would just wrap up the group if they beat Les Choenges uh, later on in the month. But there is midweek football next Wednesday. Uh, we've got Estoril. Again, Porto will have to go to Estoril. Estoril Praia will be playing Porto next Wednesday at 1800 hours. And that'll be the first match for Porto in Group D of the League Cup. So that's what's going to be going on uh, next uh, week um, with regard to the League Cup. League of Football is back this week after the break for uh, Portugal's last two group matches in the Euro. And then, of course, last weekend we had the Taça de Portugal fourth round. And now league action's back. When we left off, of course, we had that uh, pretty dramatic derby where Benfica scored the two goals in stoppage time to beat a Sporting, who at the time thought they might have walked away with the result despite being a man down. And that what was going on uh, was uh, back, uh, what, two, three weeks ago. But this weekend we got going, we've got three very good matches this weekend. First off, match day 12 gets started on Friday uh, with a battle of uh, basically two teams uh, toward the bottom, and that's Shabj. Uh, they will be taking on Vizela on Friday. You've got four matches on Saturday. Uh, three matches stick out for me this weekend. The first one is Familia Kong, seventh place, hosting Porto. So right off the bat, Porto gets a very, very tough match, although Porto's done well at Fama uh, since Fama's come up to the first division. But Fama-Porto is a very good match on Saturday. Then you have on Sunday... Braga will be at home to Estoril Praia. And again, Estoril Praia, ever since Viasco Siabra took over, they have won three matches in a row. They won last weekend in the Cup. They won three weeks, uh, about what four weeks ago. They upset Porto and Porto. And uh, they're on a bit of a roll. They've got momentum. And Estoril will be going to play at Braga. Uh, so that's a very, very tough match for Braga. And then you got Moreirense, fifth-place team, having a fantastic year. It's almost like every third year that Moreirense is in the first division, that they tend to have this incredible season, whereas every other year they're just like awful and battling against the relegation. But this year they're having that good year, and Moreirense will be battling Benfica, and that match will be 1,800 hours on Sunday. Uh, Boavista Roca will wrap up the action on Sunday night. And then Monday, because Sporting played in the Europa on Thursday, Sporting will be at home to Gilles Vicente. Obviously, you know the story already. Benfica and Sporting tied for first, but Benfica with the head-to-head -head advantage. You got Porto three points behind uh, with 25 points. And then you got Braga sitting in fourth place with 23 points, but close. And again, we've got some really good football. So it's good to see the Liga Betclick back this weekend. Um, I think, uh, like I said, we've got three very, very good matches. And uh, my three matches are Fama, Porto, Braga, Estoril, and a very good match with Moreirense taking on uh, Benfica. Second division report. And, well, the best match this weekend, there, there's really no doubt about it, and that is... Um, the match between Santa Clara and Meritimo. Santa Clara, of course, tied with Nacional for first place with 23 points. AVS 
tie in third with 22, and then Turiens and Maritimu tied for fourth with 19 points each. Maritimu will be going to Santa Clara to play the Island Derby, and there's a bit of a controversy, but sort of off-the-pitch controversy. So apparently, I'm not really sure when they played. I can't remember if it was a week ago or a month ago or if it was last year because you know punishments in Portugal seem to always come down so much later. Um, but apparently there was a match that Santa Clara hosted, I think it was against Benefial, and they played to a 0-0 draw. But there was a problem with the, the cameras in the stadium, the security cameras, that weren't working. And that unfortunately got uh, Santa Clara a one-stadium ban of no fans. They took it to who else? Tad. And Tad uh, basically uh, stopped that, or at least for now, held, hold it. And that enables Santa Clara this weekend to have fans against Maritimo in their stadium in Punta Delgada. So that was a bit of a controversy. And Santa Clara um, also are doing a thing this week where if you buy a ticket and you bring a special gift, because uh, obviously we're in the holiday times of the year, um, you'll also be able to get a second free ticket. So Santa Clara getting into the spirit. But that is without a doubt, pro my opinion, the uh, top match uh, for this weekend is the Derby, the Island Derby uh, between Santa Clara and Maritimo. Everything gets going on Friday. Vila Verdense, last place, takes on Leiria. We actually have two matches in the second division on a Friday. Usually I don't see that. And then you have Academico de Viseu um, not having a great season near the bottom at 15th place. And they're taking taking uh, second to the bottom. Villanenses, I know that's a favorite of a lot of you. Villanenses has been really, really struggling, and they sit in 17th place. Only Villanenses is worse, so the two bottom teams will be playing on Friday night. Then you've got three matches on uh, Saturday. Uh, you got AVS, which currently sits in third place. They'll be taking on Benfica B. And then you have Nacional, who's in a first place tie with Santa Clara. They'll be playing Passos de Ferreira, longtime first division team, relegated to the second division and not doing very well. They're all the way down in the 11th place. They have the best mascot in Portugal, Passos de Ferreira. They have, in my opinion, the best social media team. But this year, their actual team on the pitch is struggling. And then on Sunday, three matches. Obviously, my favorite club in the second division I've talked about. Turians having a fantastic season in fourth place, tied with Meritmu with 19 points. They will be at home to Les Choynes. And, uh, of course, the other big match on Sunday, like I've talked about, is Santa Clara Meritimo. And everything wraps up on Monday with Ferenc from Santa Maria de Feira hosting Mafra, which is uh, having some good results moving up all the way to seventh uh, place. And uh, that's your second division report. Uh, got some good things going on there. Let's move on now uh, to uh, women's uh, football. Uh, so the woman, uh, basically the woman these days, well, first off, they're on international break. Uh, the women's national team is playing in the Nations League, and they're going to be in uh, Norway. As a matter of fact, I was watching some of the photos and videos from the Federation social media accounts, and the other day they were practicing in the snow in Norway, and I think a few of the uh, players in Portugal never had never had seen snow from the looks of the video, and uh, they were having uh, some fun with that. But Portugal still has hopes to try to finish in second place in their group. Of course, their last uh, match day, they lost twice to Austria, home and home. And so for Portugal to have any hope, they need to start by beating Norway to try to keep uh, their hopes alive, and that's uh, what's going on. But last week, 
We did have the top four teams in Portugal play. We saw the big derby, Benfica taking on Sporting. And Sporting, I said they needed to win to try to cut the deficit the first place to only two points. They were trailing by five, and they did. Going to Benfica in a match played at Cova de Piedad. Sporting getting the three-to-one win to get right back into the hunt. And then the other big match, we saw Maritimo jump to third place, beating up on Braga at home, four-to-one. So right now you've got Benfica in first with 21 points. You got Sporting in second with 19. You got Maritimo in third with 16, and Braga also with uh, 16 points. And again, women's football um, is currently right now on international break. Let's move on to the second half of this episode, and let me take this opportunity, as always, to say thank you for listening, whether it's for 5, 10 minutes, whether it's for the whole 40, 45 minutes. I really appreciate it. If you're brand new, sit back, relax. This is your weekly Portuguese soccer football expert uh, giving you uh, the pre reviewing the past week's action and previewing the upcoming action. I've been doing this for over 25 years. And uh, as I always say, if you want to support this podcast or PortugueseSoccer.com on social media, please follow us on our social media platforms, especially on podcasts with Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes, Podcast Static. I also put up the audio on YouTube. And again, all this is, of course, free and a great way to uh, support all the efforts here. And I know many of you do. Thank you so much. Muito obrigado is, of course, to follow and uh, just Thank you, and of course, give us a good rating as well. That's always been uh, very good. I got my I got my Spotify, what they call it, unwrapped, and uh, I think you know something like forty countries on average listen to this podcast every week. Um, amazing! the 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 biggest audiences are uh, the United States, Canada, and uh, England, Australia, and then Portugal. Um, and uh, this past week, uh, there was actually last year there was. This past year, there was four episodes that were tied for the most listened to. And um, I say this to you all. Thank you so much. And again, this is not easy to do. There's no such thing in Portugal as objectivity. I try to be objective every week. I'm going to tear down your team, but I'm also going to praise them when they deserve it. Uh, but this is really coming from, I think, a perspective that a lot of people in Portugal don't believe. They don't believe anyone. They believe everybody is influenced in one way or another. But I don't believe I am. But again, thank you for listening. But let's get going and talking about the uh, some things about the Liga Portugal. Uh, first off, Pedro Purenza, the Liga president, was also nominated and accepted to become the president of the Association of European Leagues. This is a very big honor for Portugal. Um, he's been the Liga Portugal uh, Liga Portugal president since 2015, and uh, he has just done a absolutely uh, brilliant job. And, um, well, I think he's done a brilliant job. Not everybody would agree with me, but all the clubs came out on social media to congratulate him on having this additional responsibility and continuing to put Portuguese football. You know, Portugal, when you look at it, I mean, we have the best agents. We have some of the best players in the world. We have some of the best managers. Look at Amorim, look at what Abel Ferreira is doing. Uh, we just have so many great managers doing so many great things. Uh, the head of the UN is Portuguese. We've had some of the Portuguese in some of the top positions in Europe. Uh, Portugal, for a small country in many levels, food, travel, politics, government, sports, always has people in very high positions. And this is another Portuguese that this term will be uh, the president of that league. And what does that mean? That means obviously he's still going to be the league president, but obviously he's going to have additional responsibilities overseeing what could be a very interesting time in Europe 
with the fact that I know I think what is there's going to be a new format of the Champions League. Uh, there's always talk about breakaway leagues and stuff like that. So this is going to be a very interesting time. I'm not sure how long he'll be president for. I don't know if it's for two years, but that would be very, um, very interesting to see. But anyway, congratulations to Pedro Porenza. I think he's done a very good job in the Liga. Um, he's not in the news the way the NFL commissioner is in the news. And when you're not in the news, that means there's no controversy. Um, and the bottom line is, is I think he has uh, done a good job. I like what he's done with the League Cup. I agree that he's got to bring the Final Four, at least for a few years abroad. I know Braga supporters are not happy with that. But part of the job is to innovate and it's to continue to build on the league. And I think Pedro Puenza's work has been acknowledged. And uh, that's why he, uh, he's he been uh, doing that and he'll be doing this. Um, let's go to player abroad report. Let me throw in a futsal note here. I don't usually talk about futsal, but I will moving forward. Ricardinho, uh, Ricardinho, one of the best, uh, if not the best, uh, futsal player ever, 36-year-old. And he's playing for a club in Latvia now. Uh, he talked about that he doesn't know yet if this season will be his last as a professional player, uh, but definitely next season will be if he decides to come back. Uh, I don't know if Ricardinho would have been a great player um, on an 11 by 11 pitch, but he has been absolutely amazing for futsal. And I don't know much about futsal because where I live in my part of the world, it, it doesn't really exist unless people play. I know where I live, people play on small pitches and it doesn't tend to be 11 versus 11. Um, but futsal is a big sport in Europe and it's a very popular sport in Portugal. And he's been... Again, like what we talk about, the Portuguese and all these different parts of the world, all these different positions. When it comes to futsal, one of the best players in the world is Portuguese. And um, he is apparently uh, thinking about retiring. And uh, again, I, I like to see him come back to Portugal and play in Portugal. Uh, obviously, I know he played in Portugal. I think, was he a Benfica player? I, I can't remember. But again, those were during the times when I wasn't following futsal that much. But I haven't been, I have been paying attention to it. A little bit more, but he made news this week. Uh, Bruno Fernandez, player abroad, um, had a good week. Um, he has the third most assists in the Champions League since something like 2021, and he didn't even play uh, last season. Uh, incredible what he continues to do. I saw a video of him a few weeks ago. I think it was after a disappointing result by Manchester United where he was sitting in the stairwell, and he was just so disappointed. And one of the staff came over to console him and, and Fans loved it because he cares. And he always cared at sporting. He always cared when he played in Italy, in the smaller clubs. And uh, he's not afraid to tell players on the pitch when they're not doing right. So really need to give a shout-out for Bruno Fernandes. Obviously, this was also a very interesting week for Juan Cancelo and Juan Felix, recording the goals to beat Porto. And again, they make their living for Porto. So, excuse me, for Barcelona. And what do you do? Doesn't matter who's on the other side. 11 versus 11, you have to score against them. And, and they did their job, and, um, you know, they're doing well. And, and let me tell you, it's it's only a good thing for Portugal's national team if we see Cancelo and Felix influence grow with Barcelona and that they play much better because that would only make it uh, helpful for Portugal next Euro. Remember, we didn't have Cancelo in the last Euro, if I remember, because uh, he, unfortunately, I think he got COVID, and therefore he couldn't be in camp. So having a player like Cancelo playing in this Euro, who we didn't have at the last Euro, would be, I think, a really good thing. So uh, we shall uh, see. Let's go to the Big Four report <clears throat> just quickly. Number one, we'll start off with uh, Porto Andres Villas Boas was in the news. All reports say that he will be 
uh, announcing his presidency for Porto in January. Of course, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes or you haven't been following things in Portugal, a lot of controversy with the General Assembly a few, uh, about two weeks ago. They did have it, and the budgets and the accounting were approved by the Saucius. But this time around, a lot less Saucius came to vote on it. A lot of people were concerned about what happened the first time with uh, some of the violence. But uh, we are starting to see pretty soon, and it'll be curious to see this because Porto's in good shape to qualify for the uh, in the Champions League, and obviously they're in the top three in the Liga. But we'll be curious to see in the next few months uh, Pinto da Costa and Andres Villas-Bowen going up against each other. And I wonder, because I believe they do, if they do a debate. Um, we've seen it. I, I remember sporting when they did debates. I've seen Benfica. I don't, although I don't know if Benfica did a debate the last one. But uh, I'm very curious to uh, tell you something. That would be must-see TV if Pinto da Costa and Andres Villas-Boas uh, go at it. Uh, a debate talking about the club and everything. Pinto da Costa is as sarcastic, but the media love his comments. He just knows how to talk to the press. Vilas Boas is learning all this, but he seems to be a very smart guy. Obviously, he was a successful manager, especially his first year with Porto. But that's going to be a lot of uh, fun uh, to see. Uh, sporting, Marcus Edwards, thankfully, he's okay. He had an accident, and then two days after the accident, he scores uh, Sporting's goal uh, against uh, Atalanta in Italy to help in the 1-1 uh, result. Uh, we're seeing a lot of reports of, of course, it's not a surprise, Gonzalo, Ramo, uh, Gonzalo, excuse me. Gonzalo Ignacio apparently was looked at at the Derby by Real Madrid. Um, <clears throat> it is only the beginning of December, but I guarantee you after Christmas, the rumors will start to fly when the January transfer windows open. Uh, Diomandi is another play that's getting a lot of attention. Uh, Arsenal has been uh, linked with him as well with some interest, so we shall see what happens. But again, if you're sporting and you're battling for the top two and you get ridiculously great offers for some of these players, are you going to sell them? Um, be curious to see if sporting picks business or the pitch. And that's always a very tough question because in Portugal you really do need the money if it comes to it. Benfica, the big story this week, and you know, last year... Um, it seemed like Schmidt could do no wrong. This year, it seems like he can't do anything right. Um, listen to this comment. Let me read you. You probably have a piece of paper. Uh, this was what he said about the referees after the match this week at home when they had a 3-0 lead and they blew it against Inter for 3-3. I'm horrified by the refereeing team. Unbelievable. The penalty wasn't a penalty. The red card wasn't a red card. Unbelievable throw-ins, corners. Everything could, they could get wrong, they got wrong. It was a disaster. Uh, Schmidt last year was very careful not to criticize the referees. He seemed to think that he could manage in Portugal and that because of the success they would be above it. But it's been different this year. He hasn't been happy with the VAR. He hasn't been happy. And by the way, these weren't Portuguese referees. These were you know European high-level referees that are basically assigned and graded to work a big Champions League match. And he has not been a very happy camper. And But look, at the end of the day, what's saving him is a player named João Neves and a player named Tengstadt to score those two goals to beat Sporting in the Derby. And that is what's managed to keep uh, Benfica in first place. And as long as he's in first place, he's going to be okay. And we'll wrap it up with uh, Braga. Uh, Braga, of course, you know, I had a chance to watch. Uh, I went to uh, basically Wednesday afternoon, again, here in North America, 
the games are generally on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon while all of you in Europe get to enjoy it at 8 o'clock in the morning, at 8 o'clock at night. I know obviously in other parts of the world, I, I know, what is it, France is 9 o'clock, Johannesburg it's 10. I know if you're in uh, Australia, you probably get to watch it, what, 7 in the morning? So perhaps it's also tough for you. But here we're watching matches in the middle of the afternoon, and I took my, the afternoon off. I went to a bar that was showing four Champions League matches, and none of them involved Braga or Benfica. But uh, I was basically just, you know, actually they were showing, which I thought was an insult, they were showing Real Sociedad versus Salzburg. And I, I, was, I went to the owner and I said, hey, um, if you don't mind, uh, I think the, you know, the Braga, you know, Union Berlin match has more on the line or maybe can you show Benfica just for the fact that I'm here and somebody's here. And uh, he was explaining to me that, you know, I guess it's through Paramount here and the way it's, he's got to put out four different laptops because it's not like the system he uses goes to four different TVs. However, those things are done streaming. I'm not into the, I don't understand the technology, but whatever it was, I basically went to a location and I had to basically settle for updates. Eventually, they did show the end of the Benfica game after the uh, game they were showing Real Sociedad Salzburg finished a little bit earlier. But Braga had an opportunity. And they did, you know, they did the same thing, I think, uh, earlier this year against Napoli where they had a player sent off. And Braga is still learning how to be a big team. They, they've managed to finish top four consistently. I think they're going to be that way. I don't see Guimarães anytime soon um, taking them out of that spot. But they have to learn how to be a big club, and getting a man sent off early was not good. But they did show perseverance. They did show they could come back, and obviously the big thing was coming back to level through Dejolo, who's going to make them a lot of money in the future, and as a result. So Braga is still learning. Uh, big match this weekend against uh, Estoril, and uh, Braga's only five points out. Despite some disappointing results in the Liga, they're only five points out of first place. So I think we're going to have a very exciting uh, spring. Let me uh, move on here and talk about my favorite club in Portugal as well as the mailbag. And uh, first off, last week was the uh, what they call, I guess, the, the local cup competition in Viano do Castelo. There are two divisions in these districts. And all the teams in the first and second division played their first round of 32 matches. And my club, Atletico dos Arcos, beat a club from the second division that's in last place called Pera, 8-0. Um, it was men among boys. Uh, Atletico just absolutely destroyed them. And uh, obviously, they've had a good result. I've talked about how I think in the past they've lost in this competition early. This year, they came back uh, very strong. Now, this weekend, big, big match. The battle of first and second place in this group. My club in first place with 28 points. Munson in second place with 26 points. And we're going to be going uh, to Munson uh, to play this Saturday at 1,500 hours at Campo Manuel Lima. And it's a big result. We, um, we win. We go up five points. We draw. We continue to maintain a two-point lead. If we lose, then we're going to be down one. And that's your three storylines for this weekend. But I think Atletico will be prepared. And I think it's also good that uh, the first time we play them, we go to their place because that means they've got to come to our place toward the end of the season when the uh, second legs are being played. Cardinal Lentz, uh, third place with 23 points. So we're five points ahead of them. And uh, they are going to be playing at home against the 16th place team, ADC Correa. Punta Barca is in fourth place with 22 points. But Suckers, we're six points ahead of you. Ha ha. 
And that's a very, uh, so that's actually good. So uh, match day 12 of the districts, Viano Lucastello, only one team gets promoted to the fourth division. And Atletico Jarcus right now is ahead by two points, and they will be playing that second place team, Moonsong, uh, this weekend for a very, very big match in the districts. Mailbag edition, uh, let me start off. I've got two questions. Of course, I've already read a, a bunch of comments previously earlier in this episode regarding the FIFA rankings. Um, two questions here. First is Fred from South Africa. And basically, he poses the question, if Roger Schmidt does not qualify for the Europa League, should he be fired? Uh, no, because if Ram Rui Costa, his team is in first place in the Liga. He doesn't want to mess with that. Um they're still alive in the cup. They're still alive in the League Cup. But yes, there is concern about Benfica in terms of what has happened in the Champions League after such a perfect campaign last season. Um, but the only way that I see Roger Schmidt ever getting the boot is if he finds if he falls behind four, five, six points in the race for first place in the Liga. I could see Rui Costa if he feels they're losing momentum and he worries about how well the other teams are playing. I could see him possibly making a move. Um, but right now, they're in first place. They won their last game, the Derby. Uh, tough match at Moret Inns this weekend. I just don't, based off of the Champions League, uh, see them uh, you know, basically firing him. Uh, only if, let's say, they come out of the break here and they lose two or three matches or they drop points in the next two or three matches, then I could see that possibility. But, you know, Rui Costa, the number one thing he wants is he wants to win the Liga. That's the number one thing that any president in Portugal wants. And I think that's why you won't see him uh, get fired. I, I just, I really don't, uh, I just don't see it at all. But again, we'll see. Sometimes Benfica starts slow after the break. So we'll see what happens. But next question I have is from Jack Hacken. Uh, Jack Hacken, Fire Nord. Um, I had a question for the mailbag. I have noticed that in Portugal, some clubs seem to have a multifaceted plan involving the development of youth and other important aspects relating to improving the welfare of the club in question. While other clubs already have a developed, um, semi-developed youth system and other things going in their favor, which they do not seem to use to their fullest. Could you underline some examples of for me how such a plan could turn out successful or end up stagnating a club? Sorry for the long-winded question, but I feel like underlying where this question came from. Um, so I hope I understand, Jack, what you're trying to say. I know I had asked you via e uh, DM uh, to give me the question again. So in terms of youth development, here's how it works. If you are Benfica Sporting and Porto, you have a youth system, and then you're going to go and buy players abroad, players that compared to the youth system players are a little bit more mature. They've played in higher level competitions than just the B team. And what they do is um, these big clubs, that is their plan with these players. And if you're like a Benfica and you just had an awful Champions League campaign, you're going to make 40, 50, 60 million right away, probably by selling an Antonio Silva, perhaps in the next transfer window or next summer to make up for that money. Um, what happens though is that if you're not winning and you're not playing in the Champions League, then your players are not playing at the highest level and that hurts you. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're a big three club, your youth programs are a combination of bringing in foreign players and bringing in your youth players. Now everybody else, because they can't afford to bring in 
the players from Argentina or Brazil or wherever it may be in Africa or perhaps in Asia, their youth development system and their programs are different. They are built on selling these players, especially to the big three, and using that money to bankroll their clubs. So if you're a big club in Portugal, you need to not only have a good youth system, like at Benfica with Gonzalo Ramos, but you also need to have the ability to go out and get great players to buy, bring them into Portugal, and then try to sell them for two or three times what you bought for him. That's what the big clubs do. And as you can see, with the big clubs in Portugal, it works because look at how many great players have come out of Portugal uh, to play in other big clubs in Europe. And look at how much money has been made in Portugal that has enabled the clubs to be very, very competitive. Um, but when you're a small club in Portugal, um, and you have great players like Mafra and you sell players or like a Familia Cone, which has made something like 40 million in the last five years. Your club can go from being a club that battles, the, uh, tries to battle relegation to being a club that will always try to battle for the top eight when you put it together in the right way. And those are the clubs that don't buy players. They can't afford to buy a player for 10 or 15 million. They have to create those players to sell those players for 10 or 15 million. I talk about this club called Amora that owns the rights to Geni Katamo of Sporting. Um, Sporting's offering only a million and a half. Some reports say three million. And why Amora would, when, you know, why would Amora, if they see the potential of this kid, why wouldn't they sell him as Sporting for 10 million? Um, the smaller clubs in Portugal, when they get one of those players that they could sell for a lot of money to a big club, it changes everything about them. But when they don't make sales, and this is the other side of it, when it doesn't work, then you don't make a lot of money. When you don't make a lot of money, you don't have a lot of money coming in. And obviously that plays a factor in the success of your club because you just can't buy better players. And therefore, a lot of times the clubs that you never hear about, you never hear about them because they're probably not very successful and they've probably never had a player that you've heard about. So it's important to have a very good youth system. So there's, I hope I'm answering your question. There's two things in Portugal. There's the big clubs with the youth and the buying the players abroad. And then there's everybody else that's trying to create the best players to be sold to a bigger club. And then hopefully down the road, when those players, like look at Bruti Munins, um, you know, when they sold uh, one of their players a few years ago, he's at Everton now, uh, Betu, uh, when he went to, I think was it Sampdoria, um, they made a lot of money on him. And when you get that payday, that payday sets you up for three or four years. And that's the way it is in Portugal. Now, it may not be the same in Holland, may not be the same in Germany, because they really want to create great players. But in Portugal, the financing is just a very, very big part of it. Anyway, folks, that's going to wrap up episode 199 of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. As always, please take care of yourselves. Please take care of your families. And I'll talk to you next week. Ciao, everybody.